Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. First Timothy chapter one, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am, the chief. Verse 16, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we give him praise for his word today? First Timothy, what a powerful text. And let's pray right now. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we love you. We're grateful for the sweetness of your Holy Spirit that is present in this place. We thank you for all that you're doing in our city and in our midst. And right now I ask that you'd be strong in my weakness and make ready the hearts of men to receive the word of truth. Whatever distractions are weighing heavy in our mind, right now we choose to lay them at your feet to give you our undivided attention. And we lean into your word with hopeful expectation. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Little context here into 1 Timothy. This is called a pastoral epistle, which is a fancy way of saying it's a letter to the pastor of the church of Ephesus to encourage, to provide direction and instruction. This is a letter from the apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy, as he set out to pastor the church at Ephesus. In the first half of chapter one, Paul addresses warnings about false teachers. He warns Timothy that there will be many false teachers who come in the name of the Lord and they will preach high sounding philosophy, but it will be lacking in substance and in transformative power. And then he transitions into the back half of chapter one to set the example of what the true gospel really is. And simply put, it is that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Anybody thankful this Christmas that Jesus came to save sinners? Thank you, Lord. Now, listen, this is a time of year where it's easy to get so distracted, sometimes by even good things. Our shopping list, the latest and greatest technology, the busyness of our families. But I want to implore you 
this season, may we set our minds on what Christmas is really all about. It's about Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners like you and me. Tell your neighbors, say, he came for sinners. Tell your other neighbor, that means you. <laughs> Husbands, be careful, all right? I want, you to, I want you to make it to see Christmas, all right? <clears throat> you know, uh, the truth is a lot of times in settings like this, we kind of preach just about the star that led the wise men to Bethlehem. We preach about the nativity scene, but sadly, most preachers stop at the manger. But not today, we're not gonna stop at the manger. Because see, the manger and the cross are eternally connected. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. And so that's what we're gonna focus on today. Listen, it's no secret that we're living in a dark world that is confused and lost. But I do want you to know that there is hope for the world. There's hope for the city of Charlotte. But our hope doesn't come from Washington or Raleigh. I want you to understand this is a spiritual crisis that our world is facing, and it must be met with a spiritual solution. But the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ still works, and the gospel of Jesus Christ still changes lives and transforms the human heart. There is hope for the world, and his name is Jesus. And this Christmas season, let's proclaim this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the next few moments today, we're going to work our way through the five verses that I previously read, and we're going to start in verse 12. And the first point I want to extract out of that verse is God uses the unlikely. Help me preach again and tell your neighbor, God uses the unlikely. God uses the unlikely. We see the Apostle Paul here. And honestly, when I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of this saintly figure who practically wrote the Bible. I think of him and his calling and anointing. But the truth is, Paul tells us right here that I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the New Testament church. He tells us that he was arrogant, boastful, proud, and rude, and a Pharisee to top it all off. God could have chosen anybody 2,000 years ago to carry his message into the world Yet out of everybody on planet earth, God chose the least likely candidate of all, Paul, the tormentor and persecutor of the Christian church. This very simple message should give all of us hope. And that is that Paul's past did not qualify him from being used by God Almighty. And if God never gave up on a man like Paul, God has never given up on somebody like you. And if God can use Paul, God can use you. Come on, somebody, if you believe it, and you're thankful for the God of the second chance and the third chance, the God who never gives up on us. It was shocking to the early church that out of everyone, God would anoint a man like Paul. In fact, Acts 9 says that when the early Christians heard that God had now saved Paul, they were terrified and afraid of him. Nobody was inviting him to Denny's after church. They were scared of Paul. 
all right? They were shocked. How could God use a person like this? God used him beyond his wildest imagination. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this man who once persecuted the church now wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He went on three missionary journeys spanning over 7,000 miles. And during that duration of time, he planted 14 churches that were fruitful and multiplied. And the very, the very kingdom of God that he worked to extinguish, now God used him to multiply it and to change the trajectory of human history. If ever there's a story of redemption and transformation and the power of Jesus Christ, it's the life of Paul. But quite possibly, his death may have been more profound than even his life because Paul died in Rome as a martyr for the cause of Christ being beheaded. It's one thing to live for Jesus. It's another thing to give your life up for him. Even in his death, he pronounces that Jesus is the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And again, if God can use somebody like Paul in that kind of way, just imagine what God can do through you. I want you to hear me loud and clear. I don't care if this is the first time you've ever been to church or if this is the 3,000th time you've been this year, which would probably be statistically impossible. I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. You are not a coincidence. You're not molecules in motion. You were wonderfully and fearfully made by God Almighty in his image and likeness. And before you even drew your first breath, he had a plan and a purpose for your life. Just like he had a plan for Paul, he has a plan for you. Help me preach one more time. Tell your neighbor he has a plan for you. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the people that he calls. First Corinthians 126 says this, remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God first called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. God chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. He called you and chose you just like he called and chose Paul, not because you were impressive or deserving or worthy, he calls us for quite the contrary reasons, because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And God specializes in using imperfect, weak vessels, because when the world looks at a life like Paul, they have to say, I knew who he was before Jesus. Who he is now, that has to be God, because there's no way a man could do the things he's done. And I pray that every one of you, no matter how tarnished your reputation, no matter how dark and gloomy your past, I want you to understand that God uses weak and imperfect vessels 
to do his work so that when life is over and people look back at you, they say, surely that was the hand of God Almighty because I know him and he wasn't capable of that. It had to be God. He uses weak vessels to receive great glory. We all have a calling and we're all called to the ministry. Tell your neighbor, the one you've been ignoring, tell him you're called to the ministry. I can see some of you right now. You're like, not me. <laughs> yes, you. You know, people are always searching for purpose. Why was I created? What's the meaning of life? What does God intend for me? Well, newsflash, it's in the Bible. And God does not want to forgive you and save you just so that you can cling on to the third row until you make it into the sweet by and by. He's not just saved you from something. He saved you to something for a purpose. And God has called you to the same thing he has called me, the Apostle Paul, and every other born-again Christian to ever walk this planet. You are called to win souls and make disciples. The ministry is not for the hands of a few elite clergy members. No, the ministry is for every Christian. Ephesians 4 says the work of the pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'm talking to you. <laughs> the word is talking to you. Now, some of you, when you hear that, you get a little overwhelmed and you're like, yeah, but I already have a job. Listen, you don't have to quit your nine to five to follow God's plan and purpose and calling on your life. No, your ministry is right where you are in that classroom, in that mechanic shop, in that barber chair. You're going to be strategically positioned to reach people that nobody else on planet earth can reach. God wants to use you right where you are. And he has a plan and a purpose to use you through the ministry of reconciliation to point people back to him into right relationship and right standing. Does anybody believe what I'm saying today? God has a plan. He has a call. His ministry is reconciliation, and we're all called to that same ministry. But make no mistake about it. Not only does God have a plan for you, but Satan also has a plan for you. Before you drew your first breath, there were two trajectories, two paths laid before you, one ordained by heaven and God himself, and another by Satan, our enemy, the adversary. Imagine how valuable a soul must be that both God and Satan long for it. Every one of you in this room right now, you are either on God's plan, path, and trajectory for your life, or you're following the enemies, Satan's. There's no detour, shortcut. You're not like parked in the median. You are on one of two paths for your life. It's either God's plan or the enemies. Scripture says that straight and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. But the way that leads to destruction is wide and broad and many there be that go at it. What does that verse mean? When it says that the way is straight and narrow, it's saying that the reason it's straight and narrow is because that way is Jesus. He's not a way to heaven. He's not a way to the Father. 
He's the only way. That's why it's straight and that's why it's narrow because there's one way to be saved and it's through Jesus Christ. People want to email me and say, I'm closed-minded and a little, you know, calloused, but actually my mind is just made up. Nobody else died for me. Muhammad didn't die for you. Buddha didn't die for you. The Hindu gods, nobody else died for you. Nobody else was born of a virgin. Nobody else was sinless. Therefore, nobody else was qualified to take away the sin of the world, satisfy the wrath of God. Nobody but Jesus. And neither is there salvation in any other name, for there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved than the name of Jesus. Straight and narrow. The way that leads to destruction is wide and broad, and many there be that go at it. You are either on God's way, his path, or you're following your own. Now, if we were to poll all the services this weekend, and we were to ask you, which path are you on? I promise you like 99.99% would say, I'm on God's path. I'm following God's plan. It's amazing how everybody thinks they're right with God and everybody thinks they're going to heaven. But that's not entirely true. And it's important that you take a sober look at your life and ask yourself the question, who am I actually following? Is it Jesus or is it this world? I want to read to you a quote by a man named Dennis Kinlaw, and it is incredibly powerful. And this is what he said. Satan disguises submission to himself under the ruse of personal autonomy. He never asks us to be his servants. Never once did the serpent say to Eve, I want to become your master. The shift in commitment is never from Christ to evil. It is always from Christ to self. Instead of his will, now self-interest rules and what I want reigns in my life. That is the essence of sin. There are many people who call Jesus their Lord, but with their life and with their actions, they tell a different story. Jesus warned that on the day of judgment, there'll be many who call me Lord, Lord. And I'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You can say all the right things. You can say you love Jesus, but what does your life and what do your actions and decisions really say about who you are and what you believe? Jesus said, I'll know those who really love me by those who obey me and keep my commandments. James said it this way, faith without action is, it's dead. In other words, you can come in here every Sunday, you can sing the lyrics off the screen, you can raise your hand at the right time in the song, you can verbalize all you want to that Jesus is Lord, but if we looked at your life and your decisions, what does it say about who you're really serving and who you're really following? Because our actions validate and reveal what we really believe in. If you really believe that Jesus is Savior, Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life, your life won't be perfect, but your life will be marked by his spirit. You'll begin to want what he wants. You'll begin to despise what he despises. Though we'll never be sinless and perfect on this side of eternity, 
There's a transformation that takes place in the human heart when we're born again following Jesus. I wonder which path are you on today? Are you following Jesus or are you following your own ambition? You know, a lot of people, when they consider these two paths, one looks very exciting and exhilarating, promising freedom, and the other path following Jesus seems to be a little restrictive, sacrificial. Can we be honest that it's a sacrifice to actually follow Jesus? Like three of you agree? Okay, <clears throat> well, for just newsflash, it's a sacrifice to follow Jesus, okay? Salvation is free. Your salvation could not be earned or afforded. No amount of good works or human sacrifices could ever atone for our sin. Our salvation is settled 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross when he who knew no sin became our sin that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. We're saved by grace through faith. Salvation is free, but following Jesus is going to cost you dearly. It's gonna cost you friendships. It's gonna cost you followers. It's gonna cost you the respect of people that used to hold you in high esteem. Jesus said, the world hated me. And if you follow me, it's gonna hate you too. Many people, when they look at his path and Christ's plan for their life, they say it's too costly. I've talked to many people, believe it or not, that tell me, hey, I'll get right with God one day. Later when I'm older and maybe have some grandbabies, then I'll serve the Lord. Well, you're not promised tomorrow, not another breath, not another heartbeat. Today's the day of salvation, choose the Lord. But let me, let me help you really quickly. What they're really saying is they have FOMO, fear of missing out. They think that following Jesus is gonna be this sacrificial, boring life. But the exact opposite is true. When you die to you, that's when life really begins. The fullness of life, the abundant life is not found in following your own ambition. The fullness of life is found in surrender to Jesus Christ, serving him, following him. There you find a life satisfied, permeated with the peace and the power of his spirit. Can I get a witness of somebody that believes that when I die to me, that's when I really begin to live? Let me help you see it a little clearer. Think about the world's elite, the people that have it all, the fame, the fortune, the materialism. Think about Hollywood, the people that have it all. Are they happy? Are they at peace? Some of these are the most miserable people on planet earth because the world is not enough for you and it never will be. No matter how much you acquire, it'll never be enough. The lust and the thirst for greed is never quenched. The world over promises and under delivers. Solomon, one of the wisest kings to ever reign in Israel wrote in Ecclesiastes 2. He said, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look for meaning in the carnal impulses of life. He restrained himself from no pleasure. He did everything his heart could desire. And as he looked back at everything he had accomplished, he said this, it was all meaningless. It was all like chasing the wind. There was nothing satisfying in any of it. 
This way of autonomy from God, living your own life, it promises freedom, but it leaves you shackled and bound. It leaves you emptier than how it found you, chasing the wind, but in surrender and in sacrifice is where we find satisfaction and fulfillment and the abundant life. His way is better. Can I get a witness today at Vision Church that believes his way is better? His way is better. First Timothy chapter one, verses 13 and 14 teach us this, that we are accountable for what we know. We will be held accountable on the day of judgment for what we knew. That's why we cannot just be a hearer of the word. We must be a doer. We must put into action what we say we believe in. You know what else the Bible says about us being accountable? It says that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. By the way, somebody's out here thinking, this is not a Christmas sermon. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> no, no, it is a Christmas sermon because Jesus came to die for sinners. It can't be any more Christmas than this. On the day of judgment, we'll stand before the maker of heaven and earth. And on that day, we will have no excuse for not following him and his path for our life. Romans chapter one says there are two reasons that we can never have an excuse for not knowing him. Number one is creation. Creation itself Every day of your life, things that we've overlooked and taken for granted, the stars that illuminate the heavens, the seashores, the mountain ranges, the human body, the most complex form of matter on earth has testified of the goodness of a creator every hour, every second of your life. There's no excuse for not knowing him. The invisible God has revealed himself through creation his transcendent power, his goodness, his love, and his mercy. But Romans 1 says, not only is there creation, but there is the very human conscience itself that bears witness to a God. Do you realize that there is a law imprinted on the heart of every human being, regardless of where you were born or what family brought you up, we all know that it's wrong to steal, cheat, lie, and murder. There is a law placed on our hearts, imprinted by the creator himself that reveals his goodness and our need of him. We are all without excuse for having not known God. The truth is, is that in the, although we have suppressed his truth and we have lived for ourselves, He's seen us at his worst, at our worst, and he loved us anyway. Jesus came for sinners. Tell your neighbor one more time, he came for sinners. And this is so powerful, church, and I promise I'm closing. But I'm thankful that he didn't just come for the righteous. I'm thankful that he didn't come for the religious. I'm thankful that he didn't come for everybody who had their life all together and figured out. I'm thankful that he came for the drug addicts, the prostitute, the liars, the cheaters, the adulterers, the fornicators. I'm thankful that he came for any whosoever that would receive him and believe upon his name. You know, a lot of times in church, we talk about being saved and being forgiven. 
But very rarely do we pause and reflect, what are we being saved from? And I think this is important. And I know I'm not supposed to say this and it's politically incorrect, but we're saved from hell itself. We're saved from the lake of fire and from the wrath of God Almighty. Make no mistake about it. You are a spirit being that dwells in a mortal body. One day your body will die, but your soul will live eternal. In one of two places, either in hell, the separation of God Almighty, or in His presence eternally. One of two places. Here's what the Bible says about hell. What we are saved from. We are saved from eternal punishment. The second death is what the Bible calls it. Scripture says that there is constant torment in hell, both day and night, night and day. There is no rest for the weary. Souls are in constant anguish. They are separated from God Himself. It is a place prepared for Satan and his demons, a fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you've been there for 10,000 years, times 10,000 years, you'll be no nearer the end than the moment you first entered in. This is not just a fluffy message. Jesus just didn't come to make you a better version of you. Jesus came to save you from hell eternal. Make no mistake about it. God has never sent anyone to hell. We send ourselves when we reject His Son. What more could God do to save your soul? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but find life everlasting. Peter tells us that it's God's will that none of us would perish but all find everlasting life through Jesus. Romans 3 tells us that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are truly righteous. None of us are truly seeking after Him. And we are all deserving of hell eternal. The wrath of God belongs to us. But while we were dead in sin, lost in our trespasses, He was rich in mercy and He loved us so much that He gave His Son to take away the sin of the world. Anybody grateful for the coming of the Lord Jesus? Come on, somebody. In closing, I want you to think of what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1. He said, Jesus came for sinners. And I am the chief of all sinners. Now, when we read that, sometimes we think he's just embellishing. Maybe he's just exaggerating. But actually, Paul meant every sentence, every word that he stated. In Acts chapter 26, he confesses what those egregious sins really were. He persecuted Christians, ripped families apart, interrupted worship services in the synagogue and beat people, marring them physically. But even worse than that, Acts 26, he confesses that he tortured new Christians until they blasphemed the name of Jesus as to even damn their soul and to crush their faith. That's how sinister his sin was. And he said in 1 Timothy 1, may I be the example forever for everyone who would trust 
in the name of Jesus that if he can save a wretch like me and if he can transform and use a soul like mine, imagine what he can do for you. There's no sin too deep, no person too lost to escape the mercy of the cross of Calvary. God loves you. He's not giving up on you. He has a plan and a purpose. Draw near to him. I want you to pray with me all over this place. If you're not right with God, if you're living as the God of your own life, today is the day to repent and turn to Jesus. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It's a free gift to sinners. You're not gonna make it to heaven on accident. You get there intentionally by humbling yourself, repenting of your sin, and trusting wholly in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Pray with me now. Father, we love you and we repent of our sin. Like Paul, we acknowledge that we've been the chief of sinners. Our life has been marked by pornography, adultery, lust, greed, lying, cheating. Lord, we've been dishonest, even with you. We've loved the things of this world more than its creator. God, forgive us and have mercy. Today, we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He took my place on the cross. The wrath of God satisfied in Him. His blood washes away a lifetime of sin and iniquity. He died, was buried, and on the third day, He triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. Today, I place my faith and my trust, my past, present, and future in your care. Change me and make me new. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.